Welcome back to the Florida History Podcast. I'm Carter Krishnire. And I'm Robert Bucciolato. Robert, uh, as many of our listeners know, you are the author of an acclaimed book about Dan McCarty, who is in the history of this state one of the most important political figures, one of the most important transitional figures in the political history of Florida. Walk us a little bit through Dan McCarty's career. Well, well. Firstly, um, I just want to say thank you for the uh, for the kind words. Um, I think the the book was greatly improved by your afterword uh, that you gave me, um, which is uh, a really wonderful history lesson in itself. I appreciate that. Um, of course. So um, there's been some disagreement among scholars and even some supporters of uh, a few different governors as to who was the first South Floridian governor. Um, I was in a, uh, a car with uh, uh, Bob Graham a few years ago, and I was explaining, uh, at the time I was writing the Dan McCarty book, and I was explaining to him that he was uh, the first governor of South Florida, and Bob Graham quickly, very quickly corrected me that that was not true, that in fact he was. And then I was, uh, I was at a book event for my, uh, my Florida governor's book in Fort Pierce about a week or two later, and I mentioned that anecdote, and they very quickly informed me that that was not true, that Bob Graham was the second Florida governor from South Florida. So, uh, so you know, so everybody, everybody has their own little views. Um, but for for purposes of um, compression, let's just say that yes, Dan McCarty was the first uh, South Florida governor. And what we mean by that is he was the first one to come from the emerging Florida, which was. South Florida. It was anywhere from basically uh, central Florida down. And one of the things that catapulted him to prominence was all the various transplants that came here. Um, Any legislator, any congressman, any state senator, any mayor for that matter, that was prominent in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s got their start working for Dan McCartney and his campaign. It was the first Florida governor's race where the leading candidate sounded like a northerner in terms of racial issues, in terms of civil rights. Um, He was not as progressive as his eventual elected successor, Leroy Collins, but he was certainly, hands down, much more progressive than a lot of his predecessors. Robert, uh, pause there for a second. I'd like you to lay out the political landscape in Florida in 1948, and for more reference on this, you can read V.O. Key's uh, epic book and and one of the great works of political science in American political science history on uh, southern states, which was written around the same time in his chapter on Florida. But lay out for our listeners what Florida was like politically in 1948. Yeah, and there's, um, you know, there's a few things that we've alluded to in the past, but uh, to, to basically summarize, 
Dan McCarty was Speaker of the Florida House in the 1930s. And before that, he was a member of the Florida House. He got elected in his late 20s. Um, interestingly enough, he ran unopposed each time. And he only ever got about three or 4,000 votes in these three races that he, he ran for the legislature for. And so right off the bat, what that tells you is, is that the legislative offices were very small, and they were. Um, they were also, uh, this was during the time period where there was uh, the sharing of different legislative offices. And what I mean is, is that at the time there was not what there is now, one district, one representative. There was one district and there would be two or three representatives sharing it. So it was very easy for you to run for something and instead of being challenged by somebody, they would say, oh, well, I'll just, I'll just run on this second tier of legislative races. Yeah, Robert, multi-member districts, which is something we are going to talk about in a future episode of the Florida History Podcast, and I think one of the underrated factors in why the legislature's behavior has changed so much since the 1980s in governing this state is the switch from multi-member districts exclusively to single-member districts. Continue. Yeah, so anyway, it it was a lot easier to get into office. And so at the time period... Central Florida, South Florida was starting to bustle a little bit. However, um, and as we've mentioned before, the legislative districts were just a mess. They were not apportioned properly. There was a, a fantastic amount of political influence reserved exclusively to North Floridians and to uh, those in the panhandle. Um, so you, you'd see a situation where uh, South Florida would have, you know, at this time, you know, each little pocket would have about half a million people, 750,000 people, and they'd be sharing, even with the multiple system that they had, about maybe four or five uh, members of the legislature and then over in North Florida you'd have a pocket that would have about 100,000 citizens and they'd have five or six so it was you know as a result you had this this huge influx of new people these changing political ideals and this horribly unjustifiably uh, backwards mentality coming from all the elected officials. Now, when he first decided to run for governor, it was 1948, he ran against a a gentleman by the name of Fuller Warren. Fuller Warren, um, like him, was elected to the Florida House in his 20s. He served in various positions in uh, Jacksonville uh, office. Um, At least I believe it was Jacksonville. Yeah, he was originally from Bluntstown, but his political career was made in and around Jacksonville in Duval County. However, his political base, Robert, continued to be the rural counties of the Panhandle, the Big Bend region, and the interior of the state, the agricultural heartland of Florida. Yes, and, um, you know, Fuller Warren, um, as many politicians in the South before him, 
he first ran as being a moderate on the race issue. Um, people would probably be shocked to find out that George Wallace, when he first ran, was an accommodating moderate on racial issues. The reason why they would all transform into a very pro-segregationist uh, candidate was because they lost. <laughs> they discovered that, that the best way to win was to make friends with various individuals that, you know, when the sun went down, would wear hoods over. We spoke, Robert, in a previous episode about Tom Watson from Georgia, who was a leading populist, was a running mate for William Jennings Bryan in 1896, and was radically to the left, if you will, on racial issues in 1896, believed in poor blacks and poor whites, rural blacks and rural whites in the South uniting against the power of the aristocracy, uh, the, the, the bourbon Democrats, the uh, elites, and the big business-friendly Democrats. Ten years later, Watson was one of the biggest racist politicians in the country, openly advocating the lynching of African Americans. So even people who were, I guess, in that time on the far left, if they were Southerners, tended to drift because they couldn't win otherwise. So, and, and you know, that was, um, that was just a pattern that you were seeing, uh, specifically people that were running in these small towns these you know the panhandle has always possessed a a terrible um, amount of poverty and with it frustration and anger and of course he along with legions of others like him would infuse that with populist inequality messages on top of racial um, racial uh, you know inequality and so on and so forth racial inequality meaning that uh, the poor white people were being taken advantage of by African Americans so you had this system in place where if you wanted to win office you basically had to uh, jump the racial fence and you had to join those that were using this formula to win. But you were starting to see a pattern that was taking place where people were running and they were being truthful. They were being truthful to their ideals, to their views, and Dan McCarty was a part of that. And so he ran against Fuller Warren who back in this time period it was you run twice for governor you run once to lose but to get your name known and you win the second time when it you when it's your turn so that's what fuller warren did he ran in the early 1940s lost but finished a very strong second and then ran again in 40 48 and won he uh, had one of the most well financed gubernatorial campaigns in the history of the state at that time and you find out later that his administration was rocked by scandal because he essentially in order to get his campaign coffers full um, he had to sell a lot of influence he had to sell a lot of positions to do that the person that came in second place in this contest was Dan McCarty 
And what he did was he basically went to all of these small towns and preached his message, and uh, which was basically uh, populism, but without that sort of dark underbelly of racial stoking. And so because he was a cattleman, because he uh, was in agriculture, he had the sort of gravitas to fit in with uh, people that were of the more working class. And then you add in the fact that he talked like a northerner. He was the first Florida governor, first modern Florida governor, to not have a southern accent. Um, it made him very interesting. Plus, he was a you know he's a war hero. He won a Bronze Star and the Purple Heart. He had a, this beautiful young family. He was a good-looking guy. You know, he was in his uh, early forties. I mean, excuse me, late thirties. Uh, the great Ralph Turlington, who was uh, Speaker of the House, and then he was um, a Commissioner of Education here in Florida. He was uh, one of, is one of the last surviving members of the legislature during the Fuller Warren and the Dan McCarty era. And he said that out of every political figure in Florida, the only two that could be determined as presidential who had that presidential air was Ruben Askew and Dan McCarty. And so uh, Dan McCarty loses in 48. He is the heir apparent for 1952. And what he decides to do is he is going to basically keep running. He doesn't stop running. He has a sort of uh, shadow campaign all throughout Fuller Warren's administration. So Florida had this governor who was very attractive, very young, very capable, uh, but at the same time um, just had this, this horrible dead weight around him, which was his links to lobbyists, to organized crime, you name it, he had it. And as a result, he wasn't viewed very favorably by many citizens. Plus, he also was trying to um, get a new governor's mansion, so he would always share these horror stories about how much of a dump it was, which again was just more fodder for people uh, who didn't like him or didn't like his way of doing things. And then you had this incredibly noble individual who should have been governor to a lot of people who wasn't governor and who, when they had an opportunity to, they would elect him in 62 in Dan McCarty. So all of this was all great, all well. Dan McCarty won in a landslide in the primary and then in a landslide in the runoff. He gets into office. Everybody is just incredibly excited by him. Everybody except for the people in the panhandle and the ordinary movers and shakers who don't like the idea that this South Florida progressive is coming into office. And everything's moving along this way for a month or two, and then he has a massive heart attack. Um, what you discover in my book is the fact that um, he was a terrible smoker. 
he actually had his favorite horse named Lucky because he would uh, he named it after his favorite brand of cigarettes, which was Lucky Strike. And um, even after his heart attack, he still continued to smoke. Uh, so you had this period of time from the uh, right around the start of the session in February to the summertime where he was basically convalescing. He wouldn't go to the office hardly ever. He had a study upstairs in the governor's mansion, which uh, was sort of converted to uh, his own, you know, office slash rec room. And he would do all of his working there. And uh, any, any attempts by him to create a lieutenant governor position, which he was trying to, was squashed by the state senate president who was charlie johns um i i believe we're you know we've we've made so many so i don't even know uh carter if we've i'm sure we've done one on well, Robert, we've certainly talked a lot about Charlie Johns, both at the FloridaSqueeze.com website and on this podcast. We haven't done a show on him, but his name weaves its way into almost any discussion of Florida politics and Florida government from the 1940s to the 1960s. So, yeah, we talked a lot about Charlie Johns. I think everybody has an opinion about him in this state. So, you know, so everybody, you know, in a nutshell, he was not a nice guy. So, you know, he would, he was constantly killing legislation that, that McCarty was trying to get enacted. And interestingly enough, uh, the day before Dan McCarty had his heart attack, he had a, a horrible altercation in the governor's office with Charlie Johns. So they were, they were a very thorny, stormy relationship. So anyway, um, Dan McCarty uh, recovers. He leaves the hospital. He leaves, uh, finally, the governor's mansion, goes back to work, goes back to the office, starts signing legislation, starts uh, making plans to go and, and, you know, have various activities outside of... Uh, you know, the mansion, you know, being parades and stuff like that. He goes to a Shriners parade and it was chilly and he caught pneumonia. And a week later he died. He was uh, just 41 years old. This was uh, the first modern Florida governor to die in office. And the mechanics of succession were very different. Uh, then, as they are today, there was no lieutenant governor, there was nobody that could step in. It immediately went to his arch-rival, Charlie Johns, who became acting governor. There was talk that he um, would be just an acting governor, uh, you know, a rubber stamp governor. He quickly let everybody be know- let it be known that he was indeed governor, not acting governor. Um, he basically took over the governor's office. There was talk about him maybe r- resigning his uh, presidency in the Senate. Because remember, you if you were, say, a Speaker of the House 
our Senate pro tem. And there was no vice president, and you were to become president, you'd have to resign your seat in Congress to become president. And so this was all new to everybody. And so some of the legal scholars were wondering, well, should he resign? You know, is, is it legal for him to also be a, a voting member of the state Senate as well as governor? And so he let it be known that he was keeping both positions and both paychecks. So um, if ever there was a Florida Huey Long, it was Charlie Johns. Um, he was just basically this, this incredibly authoritative figure. But out of the shadows and the sort of um, silver lining in all of this is that Dan McCarty's best friend and for a period of time his neighbor Leroy Collins, or Leroy Collins as some people call him, uh, decided to challenge Charlie Johns. He would win, and it would go on to be the Floridian of the century. Robert, let's leave it there. Obviously, we've done an episode on Leroy Collins and so much of the modern Florida politically and the advancement of Florida as a from kind of a southern backwater to a modern state was due to Leroy Collins's leadership. And as you mentioned earlier, I wrote an afterward uh, to your book on Dan McCarty, the book we're discussing today, about what Leroy Collins did after he became governor and how he moved Florida forward. Where can we find your book? Uh, well, you know, probably the, the easiest way would be uh, Amazon. Just get it there. Um, they also have it. It's in Barnes & Noble. They have it on their website as well. Uh, I know Books a Million. Uh, it's basically wherever books are sold. So thank you, Robert. Normally, the Florida History Podcast is a weekly podcast. We actually have been recording more episodes during this coronavirus pandemic, so occasionally you'll get two episodes a week. Subscribe to the Florida History Podcast wherever you find podcasts and wherever you listen to podcasts. Please stay safe out there, everybody. It's a dangerous time. We're all in this together. Get through coronavirus, and we'll be back to normal in no time at all, the more vigilant we are during this time. We will talk to you soon on another new edition of the Florida History Podcast.